Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today we're with Michael, our resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and I am Matt Till. Gentlemen, it is so great to see your amazing faces again today. Man, that was almost a, a Shatner-esque introduction. I am so happy to see you too. Spock. <laughs> we need oh, more we need, power. You need a title. Everybody else has a title. You need yeah, a, I've been working on that. I'm I'm uh, I have multiple titles, actually. It depends on who I am and where I am. Yeah. <laughs> Host of the Ephesiology Podcast, the voice of the Ephesiology Podcast. <laughs> am I, is that is that what I am? The official. My name voice? is the voice, Matt Till. The voice, the man. The I mean, myth. The best voice out of all of us. I keep never hearing a legend from our listeners. People say, "Wow, Matt's voice is just great." Wow. It's gold. Well, thank you, listeners, uh, for that. I appreciate it. Hey, so uh, let's get into our topic for today. Uh, we are continuing in this uh, series and this conversation of after evangelicalism, what, right? And uh, part of this is what we need to have these conversations as to, well, how do we actually engage in the hard hard conversations? How do we engage into some of these more difficult areas? And I just want to qu- qu- uh, share a quick story with you guys, um, because this this is actually pretty relevant. I, I had a recent conversation with a family member, and um, uh, she's of the baby boomer generation, and uh, she has been looking for a new church for some time. And uh, she finally found a, a place, um, interestingly enough, just before the pandemic, she stuck through it during the pandemic, uh, through the lockdowns and remotes and going on and off and finally gets back together. And she wanted to go and pursue membership at this church where she finally felt like I'm at home. This seems like a community. They, um, uh, you know, their beliefs seem to align with how I understand God and the world to work. And then she gets into this, this church context and she goes into the membership class and that she comes up with a, um, a, a, one of their, one of their beliefs um, was all of a sudden uh, she was kind of challenged by. So one of the things that they um, were, you know, is kind of one of their, it's a minor in their world, but still was kind of a major for her. And so now suddenly she was confronted with what do I do here? Um, how do I handle this? How do I walk into this now? And I'm not sure how I feel about it. And, um, and so she decided to actually withhold her membership um, and decided to say, I'll probably continue to attend, but I'm not going to go all in because of this one issue. And her and I got into this conversation and we were just talking about it. And I just kind of was you know, sitting with her, just reminding myself. And she was a good reminder to me that there are things that we talk about as like pastors and church leaders and theologians all the time on these issues. And we all have, we can all debate them, but I realize that the it's, it's the, the individual, the congregant that isn't always aware of all the nuances that go into these kind of issues. And for her, she was suddenly confronted with like, it's, we're not just, it's not just base orthodoxy anymore. It now became uh, these other kind of subtle issues came to light and came to the beginning. And it's like, she just didn't even know how to, how do I even have, have this conversation? Where do I go? Um, How do I navigate this for myself? And where do I find my belonging? And for me, it was just kind of like a little microcosm of what I'm seeing at the macro level of this overall, like, where do I belong? 
uh, where is my spiritual home? Who, who can I trust? Where do I, who can I believe? And, um, and, and is teaching proper doctrine or maybe improper doctrine or where, where do I land? And suddenly the congregant is confronted in this secularized, diverse world where everybody's kind of picking their side. And all of a sudden it's like, how do I find my place in my home? And, um, for me, I just, all I had, all I could do is just encourage her just to like, you gotta, you're gonna have to go on your conviction at this point. Um, and I could have that conversation with you as much as I possibly can, but it presents a bit of an issue, doesn't it? And I think maybe to some degree, some of the things that we're seeing in this conversation of post-evangelicalism or what comes after evangelicalism, or where do we go from here is there's all these subdivisions suddenly taking place on these little issues and some of them are become big issues whether it's crt or um you know uh, women in leadership or like all these other kind of issues and suddenly it's like these are the dividing lines that we're finding ourselves in and i'm wondering if you guys are seeing some of the same same things or hearing some of the same stories well yeah definitely i mean those are blasted aren't they nearly uh every minute on social media uh, the people picking apart uh, the different issues, pet issues, if if you will, and uh, oftentimes they're not as informed as what they could be. Um, but but uh, trying to have those conversations with those who feel like that they are legitimately doing their research, even though they might be researching uh, a particular interest or or issue. Uh, by using people that they would listen to anyway, rather than uh, really being constructively uh, critical, not in a destructive way, but in a in an intellectually honest way to listen to different sides and evaluate um, in light of scripture, uh, of course, uh, where one might or should uh, land. And then even historically, where has the church landed on these issues? So yeah, those are, those are all, uh, I think, symptoms of a trajectory that uh, Western civilization uh, has been on, you know, since the birth of the industrial revolution, really, or, or uh, the, certainly prior to that, uh, you know, the challenges that we meet in uh, in our understanding of the history of the church, the challenges to authority um, that we see. Some of them were rightly uh, the challenging authority and uh, and calling people to a truth. But over time, you know, there has grown this this distrust of authority. Sometimes it's merited for sure, and uh, and that ultimately has, I think, resulted in a fragmentation of what we would know as truth. Now there are multiple views of truth, and uh, and even within Christianity, then we can decide to choose which one best suits our, you know, or maybe I should say, it best tickles our ear. I think. Uh... I ran across this uh, idea from Marty Duran, and uh, people were complaining about discipleship, right? And they were like, "Man, we have just we have missed the boat on discipleship. All the all that we said about as church leaders about how key discipleship was. Uh, now look at the results 
you know, 10, 15 years later, you know, how wrong we were. Marty Duran pushed back and he said, no, actually discipleship is going incredibly well. What we're sad about is the people who became the chief voices to do the discipling mm -hmm. that everybody was willing <laughs> to say uh, the church leaders and the people who were the authorities or self-proclaimed authorities or put in position of authorities. And they understood, okay, this is what we're doing. And we represent Christ and his truth. And everybody said, are you sure? Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it does remind me of that quote. I think I'm going to butcher it, but uh, a good name lost is not easily regained. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do believe that as the church, we have lost that good name. We have lost that, I don't want to say position of authority, but maybe even position of respect uh, that, that somebody would desire to listen to what the church has to say, uh, desire to go towards the truth that the, the church proclaims to espouse, because I don't know, I'll speak for me, I think looking historically in the recent 20, 30, 40 years, all that the church has claimed to be about and champion has not really shown up in the life of the church. And mm -hmm. I'm talking about, again, the everyday church, the people living out their lives. They said they were about one thing. The life says something entirely different. And so, so in a way, Michael, when you're talking about this fragmentation of truth in society, you know, I certainly have to say it was a lot self imposed right it was yeah certainly at some level i mean you bring up two i think just very important points here it, one in regards to, to uh, discipleship i'm you know just reflecting on what you were saying i'm amazed at how effective discipleship is and if we understand discipleship as largely being about imitating somebody um, then we can see within our culture that, uh, that people imitating other people and the people though, that they're imitating and the church here included, um, aren't necessarily the kinds of people that we would want to point those, uh, to, to, uh, to as examples of a virtuous life, for example. Um, and then the second thing you bring up is, is, uh, the church and, the reputation of the church. And that brings to mind, of course, that 2018 study by the uh, Pew uh, Research Center um, about the church and where people were or back then. And it certainly uh, has exacerbated in our time, but where people were then in regards to their perception of the church. In fact, um, I was talking about this yesterday in a class 64% of Americans say they have some or no confidence in the church. This was in 2018. And um, and that's fascinating. You know, that's such a shift in our some culture. Some or no, no, right? Combined. Some or no. Yeah. Yeah. 64%. Um, that, and that's significant. You know, the top two reasons why Americans no longer attend church uh, 40% say that they can find God elsewhere. And 35% say that church is not relevant to me personally. And, uh, and that's telling. It, it, what, it, what it's telling us is, you know, people aren't necessarily giving up on their faith. They're, they've given up on the church. 
In fact, in regards to millennials, 59% of millennials who have, have dropped out of the church and 35% of those who have dropped out are saying that they've dropped out because the church is irrelevant, it's hypocritical, and it's morally failed. And, uh, and those, are, those are not perceptions um, to them. Those are their experience and what they have observed. And we know that you know, the church is not meant to be a perfect place. Um, but at the same time, the church is meant to be transformational in society. And, uh, and, and yeah, and for some people looking at the church, they're saying, you know, really, what is the church doing? Um, and, and they're not seeing a real value in it. You know, and it's interesting just to see how these trends are continuing over the course of I mean, really a number of years, I mean, decades now, where the decline of the involvement of those who are involved in churches and even just the, what maybe used to be a cultural center point, um, uh, the church was probably, you probably have your city hall and then you have your church <laughs> um, kind of almost like side by side or down the street from each other um, where the church kind of had this. Uh, enjoyed this privileged state of being at the center of the cultural experience, especially mo- predominantly in the West. And um, that has been fading, fading for, for many years, especially in the more urban populations. And now even rural communities are starting to experience that now too. Um, now, many would decry it's the liberalization, right, that's occurring of cities. And yes, there seems to be some sort of political alignment with that. Um, but that's not the case, and that doesn't actually fully explain, I think, what is it, what is occurring. Um, and so I think to oversimplify it um, would be a travesty. But for us to understand the cultural norms and what is happening within the culture and how we can then begin to reengage, I think is all the more important for us um, to know that these aren't just political lines and political ideologies that are maybe at play. Uh, we can't deny that. Um, but potentially that there are other issues here um, that we are starting to see where as the diversity and secularization of culture occur, that um, part of that is that the church is not at the center of, of this world anymore. Does it mean it's not any less relevant? It's just not at the f- focal point. Okay. Well, so and you, I think bring up something. Well, okay. So Matt, you bring up something in regards to the church is not the center of that conversation. Right. And with that comes, that weird combination of we are the church, but the church is a location oftentimes. And so when we talk about the church being the center, that's that very location centered idea, right? Like that town hall idea. I have the town hall and I have the church. I go to church. We have these conversations. So I don't know if this is fair or really, well, I'm bringing it up. So there it is. It's in the conversation. Where do we have this conversation? If we talk... I don't think we can almost even get to the how we have this conversation until we at least discuss where are we having this conversation? Where are we to have this idea? If you're talking about the church has lost its place, the idea isn't throw your doors wide open and say, no, guys, we're not as mean anymore. We're going to listen to you. You'll find something you like. Just come on in. The water's fine. Like, I don't know if that's really so. How, where are we doing this? Well, I think you're right, I, um, Andrew, that we need to be asking the question: Where do we do this? But I think we have to answer it in concert with how do we do this. 
Um, because if we don't get the how right, then it doesn't matter about the where uh, that, that happens. I mean, if we can't have constructive uh, dialogue uh, with each other in in ways that aren't trying to tear down or or spank or blister or whatever someone else because of their views, then uh, then you know we're just going to fail from the start. But definitely, um, we need to be talking about where we can have those conversations as well. You know, I, I, uh, I think you guys know I was an architecture major in uh, college and uh, had great aspirations of becoming an architect uh, as I studied at, at Texas A&M. And in fact, uh, early on in my studies, I actually won a couple competitions, architectural competitions. And I can remember one of those competitions uh, that I had entered. It was uh, to design a, a duplex for a couple. And uh, they came in and made a presentation to our class. And they, you know, they gave us kind of their stipulations with what they were hoping to, to uh, see in, a, uh, in the place that we were designing for them. And, and, uh, and so, I mean, it was just a fantastic experience as a young uh, inspiring uh, or aspiring uh, architectural student to uh, be a part of something like that. And so uh, after they gave their presentation off, we all went into our studio to do our design work. And I remember being so excited because I really felt confident that I understood where the client wanted to go with their uh, desires for a place to live. And so when I presented it to my professor, Oh, he just ripped it to shreds. And I mean, it was just, uh, I felt like at the time, it, this was a spanking I have never received. And uh, I can remember uh, almost being to the point of tears when I called my dad. I mean, my family's been in construction for, for forever. And I can remember calling my dad nearly crying saying, gosh, I just, I designed this great house for these, this couple. And I, I know that uh, I'm. Uh, I, I've met their needs, and uh, I feel confident about that. And you know, his encouragement was, you know, stand stand for what you believe in, but also listen uh, to the criticism. And from that experience, I learned that that um, the professor really had my best in mind. He wanted to to not tear me down but to interact with my ideas uh, about the design. And so it was a constructive critique of those ideas. It wasn't about me as a person, but it was about those ideas. And I, and I learned from that. Um, I learned, one, that we can interact with people and, and believe differently about and have different perspectives uh, from others. And we can do that in constructive ways that, that will not destroy the person. But I also learned from that, that to not be afraid to stand up where I felt like I, I was right. Uh, and, and, uh, and in this case, in this architectural competition, I felt like I was right in, in the way in which I designed uh, the, uh, the client's house. And in fact, it proved to be true. I won the competition. They chose my design uh, to build. And uh, and so that gave me a little bit of confidence, self-confidence, I suppose, hopefully not arrogance. I did go on to win another one after that, uh, but hopefully not arrogance. Uh, 
and um, um, and 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 the you know the ability to be able to listen to constructive critique of ideas, and and that's something you know I think in society today that we miss because you know with with the onset of social media, uh, particularly over the past gosh, what, 10 years, especially, um, it, we've just been bombarded with ideas and uh, people choose sides and they won't listen to others anymore. In fact, it, they might choose a side and hear from somebody else that has been a lifelong friend. And because they believe differently and they might make a comment about what somebody else believes, they feel personally insulted by that. And those friendships are torn, torn apart. Um, I know you guys have probably been the, uh, the brunt of some of those ripped relationships. I know I have been um, as well, where people have been just offended by a view that I might hold. Um, or my interaction with someone else on a view that they hold has offended them. And, and people today are much more um, connected, much more uh, tied to what it is that they believe about a, a particular issue than they are about the relationships they have with people. And at the end of the day, you know, uh, God's not going to be waiting for us to say, oh, hey, you were Michael Cooper and you held this view of critical race theory. Uh, welcome to the kingdom. Uh, the, no, he's going to say you were Michael Cooper and you had a relationship with my son, Jesus Christ. At welcome to the kingdom. And, and that's a perspective I think that's important for us as we think about how can we constructively dialogue with each other about these issues um, and, and do it in a way that recognizes, you know what, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we stand before the Lord, he's going to be super excited that we were in relationship with each other and unified and living in harmony uh, to, because we were united on his mission. But how do we have this conversation? And again, I think you just started it. So if I'm walking it back, I apologize, but how do we have this conversation that walks the line between proper observation of what we see in society without coming across in full condemnation, right? So, so what I mean is, so I'm not coming across by saying the reason we're doing this all wrong is because of you. Your mindset is wrong. You get offended too easily. The blame is all on your side. So for all of this to go better, you just need to fix yourself. You just need to fix your mindset. And once we do that, then we will all be better. It, it almost sounds like kind of the cranky old man saying it was always better before. Why don't you guys just do it the way we used to? How can we have a healthy conversation that is saying there is something deficient in society that needs to be redeemed and brought to Christ without coming across and saying, and that problem is you and only you. Yeah, well, I think you kind of pinpoint a perspective that is uh, informed by a, a view of God, um, th that we, we so often think that society is deficient and forget to understand that God has created people in his image. 
and and um, and inherently, because there is something of God in us that God is able to express through other people uh, that something of Himself, and uh, and in cultures He does the same thing. That uh, he, even though He doesn't necessarily create cultures, He does. It, it, Paul tells us set the boundaries of where we live. Um, he's not, and and because those boundaries are made up of people created in His image, then we should expect something of God in those cultures. And so I think rather than making our starting point to say, you know, there's something deficient in culture, therefore there's something deficient in you, our starting point should be that God is at work in culture, and therefore God is at work in you, because isn't Peter correct in what he asserts is that God desires all to be saved. I mean, and Paul, God, God, uh, he wants this for people. And um, and so if he does, if he is a God who is reaching out in his mission to touch the lives of people and to to impact culture, then uh, then that should be our posture. And so I, I think it is in some way a theological posture uh, on our part or better, a missiological posture that God is active in society. And therefore, we need to be looking for where God is active and connect with him where he's engaging. So in, this is really good because I think one of the things that we're always talking about on this podcast is doing theology in community. And Michael, you kind of brought that up earlier. It's just like, where is, you know, like, how do we do this well in, in a posture of what does that community look like? What is a safe community for us to engage that in? Um, you know, Andrew, you're asking kind of the same question, not just how, but also where, right? So Michael, you're kind of emphasizing, like, how do we have these conversations? How do we do theology in community? And then Andrew, it's like, well, where do we do that in community? Where can we, where is that safe space? And I think this is the cultural narrative. This is the cultural story that we need to remind ourselves of that everything is up for, is everything is changing. It's changing rapidly. And it has been for quite some time, but now we're really experiencing it at a different level. Whereas at maybe at one point, uh, the, the the theological conversations happened in the facility, in the building, in the location, in the center of town, right? Um, in this in this organization that we call the church, right? Uh, didn't matter what denomination you might have been from. Uh, you grew up Catholic, you grew up Protestant, um, you grew up Baptist, and though you found your little enclave of your people where you had those conversations. And 80 to 90% of your community attended one of those institutions, right? And over the years, that has been slowly um, uh, trickled out, uh, has become more diversified. There are more offerings. And even as consumerism has increased, and, you know, Michael, you brought this up about the industrialization um, of our society, that there are new cultural spaces where people gather. Um, there might have been like one, one bar in town, but the, the church was like the church and the school are kind of like the main spaces for community gathering. And now, now we have a plethora of community gatherings. Now we have a plethora of opportunities and places in which we are engaging the culture and where we gather together for entertainment, shared experiences, and sometimes conversation. Um, and that has been emerging over many decades. And now here we are in social media world, and now the question is, is that the space? Is that the space where we can have these conversations? Is that where God is working? Um, we can argue yes. We can argue no. We can argue um, that 
that these are just part of the, the the trends of how society and culture is working now. Um, but I think your point, though, Michael, is really important that where is God at work? Where is he already working and speaking and moving? And that is the place where we enter in. And uh, it's hard for us to say, well, maybe he's not working in your church anymore, your church building. Um, man, that's a hard reality to come to. But there could be a possibility of that reality of, listen, God's at work everywhere in the world. And let's let's realize that it might be outside of the walls of, of, of our institutional uh, facilities and buildings. And it might be happening in other spaces, which now requires a whole new form of discipleship, a whole new form of speaking and engaging in the culture that we got to retrain ourselves for. So the question is, is God at work on Twitter and Facebook? Because are you I, asking that question? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Is that is that a place he's working? Is that where we should be engaging on this? I'm not prepared to, to weigh in on that conversation at this moment. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? God is at work in many places. And I think one of the things that we have to be looking for is where Michael just is, totally punted that and he's like, Yeah, I'm just gonna ignore that <laughs> Well, no, here's the question, I think, and I think this is an important question is what is God doing in our world today to create community? Because you know, in our study of the New Testament church, one of the things that we learned is that church, when it formed in different places, it formed around different uh the ways in which God had already been actively creating community. And so it's very apparent as we study the New Testament church that there were influences of voluntary associations. There were influences of schools of theology, uh, sorry, schools of philosophy. There were, there were um, uh, influences of what, you know, early on in the fourth century BC were called Greek synagogues or synagogues, meeting places of, of the disciples of philosophers. Uh, there were influences of the Jewish synagogue. There were influences of the the household, the the socioeconomic religious household in the Roman uh, Greek systems. And so we know that God uses these things. And he just I mean, it's just fascinating to me to think that the the early disciples, those apostles and missionaries that were engaged in culture in the first century, recognize God at work in those places, and they formed the church out of what God was doing to create community. And that was, in large measure, a significant contributor to the growth of the church, the early church. So what is it that God is doing right now in our communities to create community that we need to be paying attention to? You know, we think of, for example, uh, the the Methodists and uh, the, the Wesleys in particular said of them that they would go into the pubs. And then uh, all of a sudden, the hymns that they would sing, the songs they would sing would be to the rhythm of the, the songs that were sung in pubs. And this is getting to this idea that we drinking talked. songs as hymns. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, this idea of adaptive ecclesiology. Um, it's not becoming captivated. You know, I think we did really well in the North American context to have an adaptive ecclesiology in the 80s and the 90s. I think from the 90s onward, we've, we've really become captive to our uh, culture in, uh, in, in negative ways. Um, and so, yeah, um, 
where is it that God is creating community around us? And then how do we engage in where he's created that community? And it might be, I mean, it might be um, on social media. That might be a place where God has created community. There's certainly communities there. Um, And we can argue the merits of social media, of course, and there is a lot of negative that has come out of social media, but there's been a lot of positive as well. Um, But that's not the only place that God is at work to uh, create community. Where, practically speaking, where you live, what is it that God has done to bring people together? Um, I know when our kids were in sports, we looked at sports as a place of community. And so even if our kids were playing sports on Sunday, you know, we wanted to be where those people were on Sunday. And if that meant that we weren't at church on Sunday, that's okay, because there was still community on that athletic pitch. Those are some fighting words for some people, Michael. Well, no, I I know. I know. But hey, listen, that was where God was uh, creating community. And it provided just a wonderful opportunity to be able to engage with people who would or who weren't in church. Right. Um, well, you know, and, and I think this is important only because, like, I, I think this vision is is often lost um, in our, um, you know, in our just in our ecclesial uh, models. I think we've we've kind of gotten into this space of feeling this uh, this us versus them. Uh, the world is trying to shut us out, uh, state, you know, kind of claiming on to uh, who we are as an institution, our place, our our influence and mm-hmm. um, our our power, our privilege in the world. And and we've lost sight of that. Um, we, we've kind of made it more about our programming and more about our our, you know, what we can do to attract the culture. And and part of that is it's been reactionary to what we were seeing happening in consumeristic trends of like, well, geez, you know, yep. if the stadiums can, you know, if NFL can pull in all, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people every weekend on their stadiums for Sunday morning mass around the, around the pig skin, like, why shouldn't we be able to do that as well here? And I think that's maybe been the wrong question to ask the whole time. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's where is the culture moving and gravitating towards, and then how do we engage into those worlds and into that things? And I think the argument can really be made that much of what we know today as the church has really emerged out of the cultural experience. Mm. Uh, the church has just enjoyed this privileged state of, I mean, really since Constantine, Constantine kind of put it right in the center of the culture. And we've been living in that state for hundreds of years. And so really since 300 or so, you know, 350 AD. And so you're, I mean, so we've just kind of had this like assumed presence of this religion. Christianity was always at the center of the cultural experience and has been slowly, the culture has been slipping away from it, you know? And, um, and so I think part of that has really been just a, like, we have to recognize that much of our church structure and our church understanding has really emerged out of the culture and uh, the culture is continuing to move forward. And we're stuck back in the reformation right now. <laughs> we're still stuck back in 15, 1600s. And um, we, we, we're not budging much. We're just making small little tweaks to try to correct ourselves or try to do some of the tricks and of the trade that really the rest of the world is, is like, I'm beyond you now. Our, our community centers are somewhere else. Our, our ways of engagement are in other places. And, and so, um, you know, they may not recognize, uh, 
maybe some of the sacredness of what they're doing, um, or if there is any sort of sacred practices taking place, or God is at work in those spaces, right? Uh, but us as the believers, as those who are spirit-filled, the disciples, uh, the ones who are sent um, with the spirit of God and uh, in the name of Christ, we go wherever we are, that's where God is at work then. Uh, am mm-hmm. I am I right on that, Michael? Or, oh, or would yeah, you- absolutely. I, I mean, certainly God is at work where the spirit of God is and the spirit of God being in us, then that's where God is at work. But, but let's not just limit it to us uh, the, having the need to be sent by God. We should all be sent and have that real sense of sentness into the world. But God also is active in his own way in the world. It, the Holy yeah. Spirit isn't confined to you and me, uh, that the Holy Spirit is active in the world and moving as he so desires in the world. Yeah. And he's at work. And so, uh, I mean, this is one of the exciting things, I think, for me as a missiologist, is to be able to think uh, about where it is that God is at work and explore those places uh, and uh, and join with him in that work to make the gospel explicit to the community he's already engaging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, just so recently I was uh, in the hospital uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this um, on one of our previous podcasts. I had a gallbladder removal surgery a number of weeks ago. And then just the other day, I had to go back in for more additional testing. And uh, the Lord really worked an incredible miracle in that just through the prayers of you, Michael and Andrew, but also, um, you know, just through many others that I was in ready, all hooked up for this testing procedure. And I was really I mean, a nervous, anxious wreck at this moment. We're in the process of trying to move. We move in less than 10 days. Uh, we're moving out of state. We're uprooting our lives. I mean, there's so much happening right now and so much to be anxious about. And I'm like, I need to get beyond this. We need to heal. And they do their scans and they're like, there's nothing here for us to do. Um, the problem that you had complained about is w- whatever it is, it's shrinking or going away on its own. And just God really worked that incredible miracle. And while you're there in the moment, of course, like consumed with your own thoughts, right? You're also reminding yourself that not only am I sent one, but also God's at work here. And mm. in this hospital, and it's just so amazing just to see how we can still be a blessing. We we can be a blessing and bring this peace, this shalom, um, this wholeness um, to the every person we interact with, the nurses, the doctors. Um, you know, even in our even in our struggle, even in our times of trial, even in our worry and our anxiety, and then they too were doing the same for us. And whether they recognize that, that that's maybe God at work in this space or not, but they too were, were a part of something that I felt like, man, like there's something strange happening here, to, here today. Even, you know, a number of the nurses would just make the comments and just go, man, like you are like you and your wife are just a pleasure to have here today. You know, and it's like, I, I have a, I have a feeling you don't say that to too many people, <laughs> you know, um, that come through here, unfortunately. And, and they're like, no, unfortunately we can't, we don't say that very often, you know? Um, and, uh, and even one of the nurses as, as, uh, we were kind of coming out from after seeing the doctor and I was all had been all hooked up for this test. And she goes, boy, we're having a really strange day here today. <laughs> uh, she goes, and this is just another one of those experiences of like, wow, look at that. You know, and even she was a bit mystified and, and, and kind of filled with this wonder of like, wow, what's happening here today. And th- those are the moments of which you can see God's at work in these spaces. And you're almost having a sacred moment in the midst of sure. 
the hospital, you know, and um, it, it's not a religious institution. There's no, you know, there, there was no scripture reading. There was no worship music played. There was no preaching of the word. Um, but, um, you know, may not have been or perhaps a, or perhaps a preaching of the word in a different way. Yeah. What a great way. Yeah. What a great way of putting that. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine the other day was uh, speaking at a Baptist church in Romania, and he reminded me of Francis of Assisi's quote uh, that, that uh, share the gospel and uh, and uh, occasionally use words if you must. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm butchered, butchered that quote. I'm trying to yeah. listen to it in Romanian and translate it, but it's not it's not coming out well. Uh but uh, yeah, the, the point being that, you know, the gospel can be proclaimed in the lives that we have. And that was the point of, you know, that Greek testimony that we read last week uh, of an official who, looking at the lives of the Christians in the second century, were saying, you know what, these people look like us, they do the same things as, as us, but they are extraordinary in that they understand that even though they're here, that they really are meant to be someplace else. And uh, and that was fascinating to that person. And that's I mean, that's what comes to mind as you're describing your experience in the hospital. So um, just for our listeners, real quick, if you're not hearing Andrew's voice any longer, Andrew actually had to step away uh, for a moment. And uh, he had uh, something had come up a bit urgently on his end. And so he he had to step out of this recording. Uh, you know, that's just I guess what life is like <laughs> for all of us sometimes. And uh, sometimes we all have to step away from something that feels really important to us in this moment. So I uh, just want to let you know that uh, Michael and I are wrapping this up. Um, but maybe Michael is a way for us to kind of close up the conversation. I want to co- go back to kind of the beginning for a moment and thinking about just, you know, the story I shared about a family, you know, member who's just trying to struggle with, you know, where do we go and, and how do I rebuild trust into this institution um, that where I'm confused or I'm feeling burdened at and really just the overall conversation about just the cultural norms that we're seeing and even the Pew research you referenced as to uh, 63% find, have little confidence in the church. Um, uh how do we, as those who are missiological theologians, ephesiologists in training, how do we build trust with the culture again? Uh, what 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 is a first step for us to to do that? Um, you know, I, I I think I think it's safe to say that a lot of our our recent attempts at doing that as a general Christian faith community has not really borne the fruit. And Andrew had already alluded to that before, so. Mm-hmm. Where do we go? How, how do we begin to build that trust with uh, with the culture and in a secular world um, again, potentially? Yeah, well, I think the first place we go is actually, to, as we reference frequently, is uh, living a life that reflects Christ, uh, that living that extraordinary life uh, that like the, uh, the Greek official had, had uh, iterated about the second century uh, Christians. Um, it, it's that it's that kind of thing, I think, that that needs to be done in a very practical way on our part. You know, and this is what happens, I think, when we see Christians being Christians, is that people notice, and and uh, th- then that becomes the the life that is desired to be imitated. And we can't uh, underestimate the power of imitation. Let me share a, a cute story that happened just the other day. I was. I was down in South Texas, and I had dinner with a, a missionary couple. 
and their three kids, they're, uh, Asher, Case, and Joseph. And just the cutest kids. Uh, they're young. They're none of them are in school yet, uh, but so active. And I was sitting at the end of the dinner table, and uh, they had just finished a wonderful piece of salmon that Catherine cooked, and just so enjoyed uh, that meal. And then uh, we had some fresh watermelon, and uh, it, you know we had big blocks of watermelon. And so I started cutting my watermelon with my fork uh, to, to make it a little bit more manageable to put in my mouth. And all of a sudden, I looked over to little Case. He's he's uh, two years and a half. Actually, he's gonna he's gonna turn three here in a couple of weeks. And uh, lo and behold, Case takes his fork and he tries to cut his watermelon. Uh, I didn't say anything about it. He obviously was looking at me and wanted to imitate me. And um, and you know what? That's the power of imitation. Uh, that's the power of being an example. Um, and it's a, certainly a trite example, a cute example of a young boy wanted to imitate somebody that was uh, new to him. Um, but But that happens. The Christian faith is more often caught than it is taught. And so we need to be modeling in society today uh, the, the life of Christ, living out what he did in communities um, in a way that can be an example to others. And the more that we do that in our communities, the more then that people will say, you know what, that is an extraordinary life. I want to be like that. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, but that begs the question, doesn't it? Uh, in spite of the data that that we know that is pointing to the distrust of the church, the church being us, um, that's a hard road to pave, if you will, uh, to pave a path forward. And so there's a lot of, of humility that that's going to take to recover a position in our communities. But it takes relationship. And the more that we are in our communities, building relationships with people, our neighbors, our coworkers, uh, the, the store clerk, uh, whoever it would be, as we're building relationships and modeling what the Christian virtuous life is, then we're providing an example that, uh, by God's grace, could uh, result in somebody saying, you know what, I want to be like that. Yeah, that that definitely is going to be, I think, probably the most significant need moving forward, but also one of the biggest challenges in light of the pandemic. And as we are emerging from this is hot and even social media, I think, and just the internet has mm-hmm. kind of created this isolationism. And so we're, we're more isolated. We're more fragmented than really ever before. And where are those new community places going to be at? What do, what are going to be the new community centers that emerge? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that, you know, what, where people are going to gravitate to, um, people are not coming back in droves to the sporting events. They're not coming back in droves to um, a lot of the more traditional spaces right now. Uh, that may return. I'm sure a lot of it will. But um, well, didn't Sunday right though show that it was returning? I mean, to watch an NFL football match uh, it, it, and see that those stadiums were were in some places nearly full. 
um, people are certainly living as if things are returning to some sort of normal. Uh, that's yeah. not the case in other parts of the world, but no, it's not. And in so we're starting to see those pockets right to develop again, and for us to kind of go back into those spaces. But just even in general, just people are just kind of more disconnected and living kind of a bit more isolated, right? And even though yeah. you might be part of the share same shared experience, like how how closely knit are we, you know, um, uh, in, into these experiences. And so it'll be interesting to follow and to watch, but I think you're exactly right. It's in those, it's in the, it requires relationship. It requires some sort of community. So however, we're developing that. And into that building trust that you were mentioning, it reminds me of John 13 verse 35, when Jesus says to his disciples, your love for one another will prove to the world that mm-hmm. you are my disciples. Um, if we want to be building trust, if we want to be building, um, you know, confidence again in the world, then we as followers of Christ must demonstrate, not just speak it, but demonstrate um, our love for one another and our love for the world and our love for our neighbors um, and our love for, of course, for brothers and sisters in Christ in order to prove to the world that we are the disciples of Jesus, the ones at which we say we are. Um, yeah. And, and I think that much of the critique of the world has been on that very issue. And um, they would look at most of us and say, you're not loving people. Um, and uh, you're actually uh, hypocritical, you're self-centered, you're self-serving, um, and in some cases, even hateful people. Um, mm. And I get like, you know, you kind of draw some ideological lines there um, and politics get very messy and very involved there very quickly. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, we just, we got to do some self, I, you're, like you said, there's yep. just humility involved there that we're going to have to really uh, invest ourselves in time into. Yeah, you know, I totally agree, Matt. I think it, it's going to demand of us to be very honest about how have we been captivated by culture? Mm-hmm. Who is it in our culture that we're imitating? You know, I can remember uh, back in the 1990s uh, when we were missionaries, we had come home on our first furlough. And I, I mean, we were discovering all kinds of new things. It's amazing what happened in the 1990s, how much change there uh, occurred in the United States. I mean, we discovered these little discs that had movies on them that we weren't familiar with and got so excited. We knew about CDs, but we didn't know that there were these CD looking things. So I remember buying one and trying to stick it into my CD player, my computer. No, you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I needed a DVD player to do that. Uh, And so there were all kinds of changes, but there were social changes as well. And I remember uh, one of the first basketball games that I sat down to watch uh, was a, a Los Angeles Lakers game. I can't remember who they were playing, but boy, one of the things that struck me was how uh, how how the players would absolutely berate an official. I mean, there was total disregard for any authority that the the basketball official had. They would yell at them, and they'd get technical fouls, and it was like they didn't even care. And I thought, wow. Where in the world did this come from? Because I grew up in an era when, you know, if an official said something, then, you know, you might not be happy about it, but boy, you just didn't go after them. And I started thinking about that the other day that, you know, in many ways, what has happened in our culture uh, has captivated many of us Christians. Um, and uh, and we, we need to examine that in our own lives. 
what are the examples? Who are the examples that we are imitating that might not really reflect who Jesus is? And then are we willing to step away from that and and really uh, look at who it is that we should be imitating and and uh, living like them, and namely looking at Christ, uh, but also looking at those who are living exemplary lives. You know, I'm always fascinated by uh, what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So who is it in your community that you could point to and say, you know what, that person is living like Christ, and I want to imitate that person um, and, and strive to live in, in that way. Yeah. Character definitely matters. And we can't understate that, um, in, in our leadership and in those in whom we choose to follow. Um, I think character is huge. And those of us who, what's interesting is in the Christian context, we can get caught up in this. Oh, you know, I follow this one great dynamic charismatic speaker. Who's a fighter and somebody who's strong willed and, you know, it aligns with my values and, um, ah, oh, but yeah, I understand he's a flawed man. Yeah. We all are flawed, you know? And it's like, sure. I, I understand that on principle and we're not looking for perfection, but Paul does say you are to be perfect as, or I'm sorry, Jesus said you are to be perfect as I am perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, dang, those are some high marks that we should be aspiring to. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ mm-hmm. and Christ says we are to be perfect. And so we are to strive for perfection. We are to strive to uh, reduce those flaws, not need to feel like we got to cover them up or lie about them, but rather to pursue authentic relationship with others and love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and, and to be peaceable with others and um, to pursue the righteous life, right? And so who are we then if we're not pursuing healthy character? Who mm-hmm. are we then? Um, who, who are we fighting for? What are we fighting for? Um, character matters. And so I think you're exactly right to follow those, um, who love their neighbors, who follow after Christ, who love Jesus, um, who pursue their life for God and, um, want to bring that message and those values into the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, And it's looking deeply to not just superficially at people because we can often be fooled by the, the lives of, of those that we might want to imitate, and so it's examining them. It, you know, it's so interesting to me that in First Timothy three and Titus one, that when we read about um, church leaders, that Paul is so much more concerned about their character than he is about what it is that they did, and uh, and we need to take that into consideration. So who are those people that are managing their household well? that are raising their family to be believers uh, and their children aren't out doing silly things. Um, who are those people that are sober-minded and, uh, and respectable and have a good reputation in their community? And so we need to look for those people and say, uh, those are the ones that, that should be imitated. Uh, not that they're going to be perfect. Paul, of course, didn't think of himself as being perfect, he thought of himself uh, in a letter that he wrote to Timothy as the as the primary sinner, the chief of all sinners. And even so, he knew that he had a clear conscience as he walked with uh, the, the Lord. And so we need to look for those people um, and, and, you know, yeah, and uh, examine our own hearts 
and ask ourselves that question about how has culture captivated us and has moved us away from the life that Christ desires for us. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's a good note to end on today, Michael. Um, just appreciate your wisdom in this conversation and also Andrew's contribution at the beginning of this podcast. Um, but um, this is a great, great conversation for us to be continuing to be dialoguing on and for us to be always reminding ourselves as to the types of, you know, as we exegete scripture, we also need to be exegeting our culture and including ourselves um, and in uh, examining ourselves um, uh, well. So. Thanks for that reminder today, Michael, and um, thank you to our listeners for doing theology and community with us here on the Ephesiology Podcast. We're glad that you are part of the growing Ephesiology community. Learn more about Ephesiology and get access to free missional resources for you, your church, and leadership teams at Ephesiology.com. For Michael, Andrew, and myself, we'll talk again right here on the Ephesiology Podcast.